Thank you, Jen, and thank you to the worship team for leading us this morning. We appreciate you all. Thank you. Yeah, we can... Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word that you've given to us, the Bible that tells us about who you are and the way that you have come to rescue us, the way that you've come to rescue your world and all the nations, the way that you've come to rescue me. And Father, we thank you for the message of Christmas and how it tells us how far you came to rescue us. So we thank you uh, for this good story that we get to hear today. Amen. The very last book of the, of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. It's the, the last of, of the prophets. He was the, the last prophet in, in Israel before uh, John the Baptist and then Christ came. And the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, it, it ends with these words. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. The Old Testament ends with the promise that there is more to come. The Old Testament ends with dot, 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 with to be continued. And after Malachi, there was 400 years where no prophet spoke in Israel. It was a spiritually dark period in Israel's history as the people of Israel were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for this story to be finished, for the Messiah to come. They were waiting for God's good ending. And then we flip the page and come to Matthew chapter 1, the first words of the New Testament. And the first words of the Gospel of Matthew, the book of the beginning of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we're going to begin this morning with a new series on the Gospel of Matthew. And we're in the season of Advent now. We're just a, a week away from Christmas. And the next three weeks, we're going to look at some of the Christmas themes that we find here early in the book of Matthew. And then in the next year, we're going to continue on through the Gospel and uh, work through the Gospel of Matthew over the next year. Uh, it may even last a little bit longer than that. It's a, it's a long book, one of the longest. Hey, there we go. All right, the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, the Son of David, the Son of, of Abraham. And what we're going to focus on during our time in Matthew over this next year is discipleship. And discipleship isn't a word that we use outside of church, right? It's not really a word that we're all that familiar with. Um, but disciple simply means a follower. Or one of my favorite teachers, Dallas Willard, says that a disciple is an apprentice. And I think that that's a really good way to understand uh, the, 
what the disciples understood themselves to be, the 12 disciples that followed Jesus, they understood themselves to be apprentices of Jesus. They were following him to learn a particular way of life. They, they think they had a hunch, many of them at times had a hunch that this was the Messiah, the Son of God, but he was a rabbi that they were following in order to learn how to live life. And so I think to think about being a disciple as an apprentice is a good way for us to think about this word, disciple. When we come to know Jesus, after we receive the gift of salvation from him, we are then called to be his disciples, his apprentices. We are called to learn from Jesus how to live this life that we have been given from him. And so we're going to look at Matthew's gospel as a discipleship manual. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? How do we follow Jesus? How can I learn from Jesus to live this life that he has given me to live? Not just my spiritual life, not just my church life, not uh, just my quiet time life, but my whole life. How, to, how do I live it as an apprentice, as a disciple of Jesus? And this theme of discipleship is really central in the Gospel of Matthew. There are actually five uh, long extended teachings that Jesus gives about what it means to be his follower. Uh, In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapters 5 through 7, there's the Sermon on the Mount, which is the longest teaching of Jesus that we have. Um, In chapter 10, uh, we have Jesus very specifically instructing his disciples about what it means for them to go on a mission and how they are to conduct themselves on this mission that he's given to them. In chapter 13, there's a set of of parables about the kingdom of God. It's uh, those parables where Jesus begins, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then gives a picture that illustrates what the kingdom is like. In chapter 18, there's an extended teaching about what it means to live life together in the church. And then in chapters 23 through 25, uh, there are these chapters that talk about the second coming of Christ and how we are called to live faithfully in between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, and that we need to be ready for his second coming. And so Matthew emphasizes throughout his gospel Jesus as a teacher who is instructing his disciples, and that includes us, about how to live as followers of Jesus. And what we learn throughout the Bible, and specifically in the Gospel of Matthew, is that being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, is not simply a belief system. It's not only about the knowledge that we carry around in our head. Of course, it is about our beliefs, but it's also about our actions, and it's also about our desires, about the things that we want. And it also includes our social relationships, how we interact with other people, and also includes our character, who we are. It's not, it's not just about the things that we know in our heads. It has to do with all of life. And the life and teachings of Jesus are very much about real life. And it's easy, I think, for me to think about my following of Jesus as these spiritual things that I do, whether it's reading the Bible or or maybe serving the poor or, or, or prayer or coming to church. But to read the Bible truly, in particular to read the Gospel of Matthew, is to encounter Jesus who wants to teach us about how to live our very real, everyday, day-to-day life. Not, and, and to follow him and to be obedient to him, not because we ought to or because we think that we should, but that we've, beca- but that we've discovered in Jesus a, a man who knows how to live life in this world in a way that no one else ever has. 
that he is the, the wisest and the truest and, 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 and the goodest person there ever has been. And so if I'm going to live this life that he's given me, I want to learn from him how to live it. Not as an ought, not as a should, but because I've discovered in him something entirely unique. He was a person who understood reality. He understood the divine nature. He understood human nature. He understood our relationships with one another. He understood that sometimes husbands and wives don't get along with one another, and so he tells us how to respond. He understood that people have enemies and that it's hard to deal with our enemies. And so he tells us how we are to deal with them and to respond to them. He understood that sometimes in this world, there's going to be someone who comes along and who steals your coat. And he tells us then how we're to respond to that person. Jesus understood that even the very best things that we do, the good things that we do, like giving our money to the poor or fasting or praying, that those things in and of themselves, those good things in and of themselves become, can become a source of pride for us. He knows the human heart, that even the outward good things that we do can become pride in here. And so he warns us about our own hearts and our own pride. And so in his teachings and in his life, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus teaches us the best way to know and understand this world that we live in. And he teaches us the very best way to live in it. And so, for example, Jesus tells us that when our enemy strikes us on the cheek, that we should turn to him the other cheek. We do so many things, and we read those verses, and we do so many things to say, you know what, that's not realistic to do. And I want to suggest to you that when we encounter Jesus' teachings in Matthew, that Jesus is is telling us uh, not just some kind of high-minded ideals of ways that we should live, but he's teaching us the very best way to live. That, That turning the other cheek, while it's not realistic as we live on this plane with the eyes that we can see, that it's actually the best way to respond to our enemies. And so I'm going to ch- it's going to be challenging because if you've read Jesus' words, you know you read them and they are impossible, and they are impossible. But we have been given power by the Spirit, and just because they are impossible to do completely doesn't mean that without his help we can do them in part and to grow up in the ways of Jesus. So we're going to be focusing on discipleship throughout our time in Matthew. And so I'd like to spend just a moment here praying for our time in Matthew, and then we're going to dive into Matthew chapter 1. Father, I pray that over this next year uh, that you would give us a vision for who Jesus was, that Jesus truly did hold all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge And that we would learn from him how to live our life. Not out of obligation or should or ought or guilt or because somehow if we think we do enough that somehow that will get us to God. For none of those reasons. But only for the reason that we know that your life leads to abundant life. And so that we would learn from you your good way for us. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. This is how 
The Gospel of Matthew begins, the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, or the beginning of the book of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. These are the first two words of the Gospel of Matthew in Greek, Biblos Geneseos. Which two words does that remind you of? What's the first word remind you of? Bible, okay? It means book. Biblos, book. Geneseos, what does that remind you of? Genesis. The first two words of the New Testament are the book of Genesis. Isn't that interesting? The book of Genesis. The first book of the entire Bible is the book of Genesis. And here we have the first two words in the New Testament, the book of Genesis. Some translators translate this differently. The record of the genealogy, Geneseos, can be translated as genealogy. But literally, it's the book of Genesis. And it speaks then of this genealogy of Jesus' life, the origins of Jesus. As you look at this chapter in the first 17 verses that I am going to attempt to read to you in a few minutes... We learn in these early chapters that Jesus' origins, his family line, is a total mess. One commentator said about this genealogy is that we learn in this genealogy that God writes straight with crooked lines. If Matthew wanted to write an origin story, a genealogy about Jesus so that we would be really impressed with his bloodline, he failed miserably. If he wanted us to be impressed with Jesus' lineages, then he failed. And so in this genealogy that we're going to look at today, Matthew goes out of his way to tell about some of the worst parts of Jesus' origins. And so here is the message for the sermon this morning. I, I often don't, I'm often not as clear about the thesis of my sermons as I'm going to be this morning. I usually want you to do some work and figure it out, but this is the thesis of my sermon this morning. morning. Following Jesus is not for the talented and the pure and the good and the honest. Following Jesus is for the rest of us. Crooked people who know and experience the brokenness and pain of our world. Following Jesus is not for the talented and the pure and the good and the honest. Following Jesus is for the rest of us, crooked people who know and experience the brokenness and pain of our world. Following Jesus is for crooked people who look to Jesus and see that there is abundant life there on offer. An abundant life that our very best efforts have failed to get us. And so let's follow him. In the first verse, Matthew gives us four names for Jesus. Jesus, Christ, son of David, and son of Abraham. I just want to walk through these four names quickly for us. Jesus, this is the, uh, the Hebrew form is Yeshua or Yehoshua. And this name means Yahweh saves or God saves. We are told later in this chapter as an angel appears to Joseph, uh, Joseph, you will name this baby Jesus because he will save this, uh, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means God 
saves. Our world needs saved. It needs rescued. And it will be saved by God. Not government saves, and not capitalism saves, and not money saves, and not my church membership saves, and not my good works saves, and not human progress saves. God saves is his name. Then we have this another, other name, Christ. Uh, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is a title, a name that he was given, Christ. It means anointed one or Messiah. The Old Testament promised that the Christ, the Messiah of Israel would come and that he would redeem the people of Israel and that he would bring hope and peace to the nations. Matthew is not being subtle here at all. He is saying his name is Jesus Christ. And we're so used to seeing those two names together that it has kind of become in our minds kind of like his last name, but it's not. Matthew is making a big claim here at the very beginning of his gospel. He is Jesus, the Messiah, the King, the Anointed One. He is the son of David. Matthew tells us that he is the son of David. The promise in the Old Testament is that this Messiah would come from the line of David and would be a king like David. He is the son of Abraham. Matthew tells us that Jesus is a son of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham. And this is important because Abraham was promised way back in the book of Genesis chapter 12 that Abraham was promised that all the nations would be blessed through him. In the book of Galatians, Paul says that this promise made to Abraham, it's called the gospel in advance. That good news was spoken to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12, that all nations would be blessed through him. And here Matthew is saying he is the son of Abraham, the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham thousands of years before. And so we come to these opening words in the Gospel of Matthew, which uh, have become the opening words of the whole New Testament. The book of Genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And in this opening line, as he gives us these four names of Jesus, what he is saying to us is that this story is the story of the climax of all of history. He is telling us that, that, that this one that is to come is the fulfillment of all of the promises made to Israel and that he is the hope of the nations. He has come to be God saves. And then Matthew gives us a genealogy. A genealogy. How strange. Can you imagine going to... Star Wars Episode 9, about a year from now. And when that very famous opening scroll comes and the Star Wars logo comes out, and then there's this opening scroll with a bunch of names. And we've waited for like, what, 32 years for the ending of this story, and we get a bunch of names. That's kind of what Matthew does here. It's really strange that he would begin his gospel, this story about the one who is the climax of all of history with a bunch of names. It's strange. It's even more strange if you actually read it rather than just skim over it like we usually do with the genealogies. It's really, really a strange genealogy. 
If you're going to talk about your genealogy, if you go down to the library and do some work on the genealogy, and you find out, um, you know, that your, your ancestor was like a king or something, you'd like start to tell people, right? Because it's like this really cool thing. Hey, my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was, you know, the king of Holland or something like that or whatever. You'd be excited about it. But if you found out some other things, you might kind of decide to not share that. Well, Matthew goes out of his way to do the exact opposite. There are some heroes in this story, but most of them are not. And not only that, but he, he chooses to mention some names in this genealogy that he didn't need to do in order, it seems, to emphasize the very worst of Jesus' family tree. What I want each of us to hear today as we look at this genealogy is that the coming of Jesus is good news for broken and crooked people. Jesus moves in. He takes on the history of a particular people, and he becomes a part of that story, and he heals it. He takes what is crooked and he makes it straight. A genealogy is a list. The father of the father of the father of the father of. And I want to read this for us. And as as I read it, um, I want you just to remember, if you are familiar with the Bible, to try to remember some of the the stories of these people. And then what I want you to also notice is the few times where he he goes outside of that pattern of the father of, the father of, the father of, the father of, because there's five times at least where he does that. You need to pay attention to those. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. Do you want to read it with me? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Matthew 1, verse 1. A record of the genealogy, or the book of Genesis, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. 
After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So just, uh, just a little pastor's hint here. Um, whenever you're reading the Bible out loud and you come to a name that you don't recognize, um, here's, here's what you do in order to say the names um, properly. You just do your best. And you say it with a lot of confidence. And then everyone in the room will think that you got it right. Because here's the thing. We don't actually know how most, most of these names were pronounced anyways. And so do your best. Say it with confidence. And everyone will think you're really, really smart. So as you read the, the genealogy, we read that there are, are many men in this story. While some of them were biblical heroes, none of them at all were anywhere close to perfect. Even Abraham, the, the great man of faith, if you read his story, uh, he was a man who lacked faith a lot. Jacob was a liar and a thief. And there was David, a a hero of the Bible, a man who was called a man after God's own heart. But it's interesting that that Matthew, when he tells this story, he doesn't say Jesse, the father of King David, who was that young boy who slayed Goliath. What does he say instead to remind us something about David? David was a father of Solomon, whose mother was Uriah's wife. And there's this long list of kings that are mentioned But we know from the Old Testament that they were a mess. And then there were these five times when Matthew goes out of his way to insert women into his genealogy. Did you notice that? Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Uriah's wife and Mary. Not Sarah and Rebecca and Leah and Rachel or even some hero like Deborah. We have Tamar and Rahab and Ruth, and Uriah's wife, and Mary. In each of those five stories of these women that Matthew goes out of his way to mention, each of them are stories of brokenness and pain and scandal. Because the coming of Jesus is good news for broken and crooked people. The coming of Jesus is good news for the lost and the outsider. And Rahab and Ruth and Uriah's wife and Mary and Tamar are all perfect pictures of the ways that Jesus comes to make crooked lines straight. He is good news for a broken world. Four quick points. He is good news for the nations. He is good news for the sinner. He is good news for the lost and forgotten. And he is good news for you. 
good news for the nations. As mentioned already, there was this promise made to Abraham that through him and his descendants, which we read just a moment ago, that all nations would be blessed. Matthew is telling us that Jesus is the descendant of Abraham's descendants through whom this promise will be fulfilled. And Matthew, again, he includes four women in this gene- or five women in this genealogy. Uh, two of them, maybe even three of them, we're not sure about Uriah's wife Bathsheba. She could have been Jewish. She could have been a Hittite like her husband. Two of them, maybe three of them, weren't even Jewish at all. They were Gentiles. They were outsiders. Rahab was a Canaanite prostitute. Ruth was a Moabite, and Uriah was a Hittite. So it's possible that his wife was a Hittite too. So again, these, these women are mentioned in Matthew's genealogy. goes out of his way to mention it to remind us that a part of Jesus' family tree are people who are outside of Israel's history. Do you remember how the Gospel of Matthew ends? What are the very last words of the Gospel of Matthew? Therefore, go and make disciples of who? All nations. The very beginning of Matthew's Gospel is this story where he inserts these outsiders, these people from the nations, and says these people were a part of Jesus' family tree. And then at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, he says, go to all nations and make disciples of them. We see here in Matthew that from the very beginning, it is the heart of God to bring the nations in. When Abraham was chosen, he was not chosen to exclude the nations, but to include and to bless the nations. When God made a promise to David that one day a king would come through his line that would be the king of kings, he would not only be Israel's king, he would also be the king of the nations. What Matthew is showing at the beginning is that God has been at work from the very beginning of Israel's life to include insiders into his family. The coming of Jesus is good news for the nations. The coming is good news, of Jesus is good news for the sinner. Tamar, Genesis chapter 38. It is one of the worst stories that you will ever read. Lying Adultery, incest, cheating, stealing, pretty much all Ten Commandments broken very quickly in Genesis chapter 38. It's a terrible, terrible story. And yet, Matthew goes out of his way to put Tamar into the genealogy. Rahab. Rahab's story is found in the book of Joshua. When the Israelite spies were spying out the land, they went into Jericho and they met Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. She hid the spies in her home. She did a good thing. It was later called a woman of faith in the book of Hebrews, but she's first introduced to us as a prostitute. Once again, not the noblest person that comes to mind, and yet Matthew goes out of his way to make sure that we know that this woman is a part of Jesus' family tree. Jesus is good news for the sinner, and he's also good news for the lost and the forgotten. We have this story of Ruth, who's also mentioned here in this story. Ruth was a Moabite. There's a wonderful story about her in the Bible. We think of her as a noble woman, but her life was filled with pain and hurt and anguish. Filled with pain. We honor her now thousands of years, but no one, no one would have wanted to live the life that Ruth lived. It was an awful, awful life that she lived. Filled with pain. 
And then there's this fourth woman who's not even mentioned by name here. She's called Uriah's wife. Uriah's wife with Bathsheba, who King David stole from Uriah and then had him murdered in an attempt to cover the whole thing up once she became pregnant. Once again, Matthew is under no obligation whatsoever to tell us about Uriah's wife, and yet he does very intentionally tell us that this woman named Bathsheba, this Uriah's wife, is a part of Jesus' family tree. And then the last woman mentioned is, of course, Mary, and we know her story, and we know what happened to Mary and the, the scandal that would have been around her pregnancy. We know that she was upright and righteous and only obeyed the Lord, but nobody else did. Nobody else did. You're pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Sure. Friends, this is the genealogy of Jesus. This is who God chose to include in his story, people from every nation. He chose to include sinners, lost and broken people. This is the family that he was born into. It wasn't an accident. He did it on purpose. This genealogy, God's way of doing things, is good news for the nations, for the sinner, for the lost and forgotten, and it's good news for you. Looking around the room today, I see a whole lot more sinners than saints. Right? The man standing up here is way more sinner than saint. What this genealogy reminds each of us is that our own sins and failures do not have to be the end of our story. A genealogy is a history. It's a history, it's a story, a story of a a particular family or a group of people. And this genealogy in Matthew says that God chose to enter into a broken history, a broken story, a history filled with way more sinners than saints, a story of brokenness and pain. As you look back on your history and your life, are there things you regret? Are there things that you wish wouldn't have happened just quite that way? Your history, your story, it's a broken story. It's a crooked story. It's a painful story. And it's a story, a history that Jesus wants to enter into. And what we see in this genealogy, if we understand Matthew's purposes, is that Jesus is not only the hope for the nations, he is the hope for your life. And it tells us that Jesus can take the mess of our own history and he can turn it and he can transform it into something for his glory and for your good. And the message of the genealogy is that he can take sin and he can redeem it and to make it something beautiful. He can take a fearful doubter like Abraham. He can take a thief like Jacob. He can take the sinfulness of Judah and Tamar. He can take a prostitute like Rahab. He can take an outsider like Ruth. He's willing to use a man like David who killed another man's, seduced another man's wife and then killed him to cover it up. He can take a scared teenage girl and he can enter into that story and make it something good and beautiful. God is in the business of identifying himself with sinful people. He includes them in his family tree. He's in the business of entering into our mess and making good things of it. 
The whole Gospel of Matthew tells us that a king has come to rescue us, but he is not a king who stands very far off, arms folded and clenched teeth, and just loves us in spite of himself. He loves us because of himself. He loves us so much that he was willing to enter into the mess and brokenness and sin of our lives and to call us to something better. He calls us to be his disciples. He says that if you will follow me, if you will be my apprentice, I will give you abundant life. I will will take your mess and you will know and experience my forgiveness and my love for you. And I will make your life something good and beautiful. I will give you abundant life. The promise of Christmas and the promise of the Gospel of Matthew is that God has come into the mess of our world and he has shown us a new way. And he calls us to come and to follow him into this new way that leads to good and abundant life. This morning, if you are a person who is lost or forgotten, if you're a person who knows deeply that you are a sinner, if you are a person who has lost your way, This is good news for you. Those ways that you may be tempted to define yourself is not the last thing about you. It's not the first thing about you. God says he loves you and he has entered into our world and he's entered into your life and he wants to make it new and good. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the great gift that you've given to us in coming into our world and being a part of our brokenness and a part of our history and a part of our story. Lord, we confess that we often push you out. You are too good for us. You are, you are holy and you are righteous and we know you are not. And so we push you away over and over and over again. But God, I pray that you would give us the power and in the eyes to see how good it will be if we open ourselves up to you and allow you to enter into those hurting and broken and sinful places in our lives, that we would experience you there in those places first. Lord, I pray for every man and woman and boy and girl who are here this morning. Lord, wherever they are in their journey, the pain they are feeling today, the feeling of failure, the question marks of what's next. God, I pray that you would meet them in that place. Remind them of the good news of this genealogy, that you enter into the lives of crooked and broken people, that you take crooked lines and make them straight. Amen.